Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod and this is episode number 27. Now this is the start of a series of episodes uh, created as part of the Dundee Design Festival. And I created uh, an installation at the festival called Punch In, Punch Out, where anyone who was a visitor to the festival could come along and pick a punch card out of the rack with a question on it. And you'd use the the nice punch-in machine and then come into the recording room and do a a few minutes of chat round about the the topic or the question that was on the card. Uh, Once you've completed that, we... You can then add your very own question to the rack and then use the the punch-out machine. So it meant that we had a whole range of people. We actually did over a hundred recordings answering questions generated by the people who were in the building over the five days of the festival. We had some amazing answers and questions and conversations and tangents and everything all up in there and such a, a great diverse range of people all ages um professions disciplines yeah completely varied um the hard bit now is is editing that all together into a series of episodes that represent it as, as best i can but i'd like to say thank you to a few people um that actually helped make this happen uh, first of all to the, the team at dundee design festival for having me and helping put it all together uh, also to Ed Broughton for giving me the audio help and helping with the whole setup for the building. And an extra special thanks to Lyle Bruce and Kate Saunderson who actually filled in and did the, the chats and the recordings while uh, for the two days I wasn't able to be at the festival. So you'll notice a few little snippets of them as well as they interviewed a, a whole range of different guests. So between the three of us, uh, we put together all those, all those recordings, all those chats um, and then... I have the lovely task of putting that together into a whole bunch of of episodes, um, which I hope you all really enjoy. And one other thing to say is that a big thanks to all of you who bought the the podcast products out of the the shop at the design festival. I was absolutely blown away that I nearly sold out of of everything that I put in there. And uh, yeah, I mean, the response was fantastic. And, And thank you to everyone who did that. It really does help support the podcast and it means that I can keep this going as, as long as, as possible. Um, for those of you who maybe missed out on the merchandise or didn't know about it, um, all the products, so the, the badges, the prints and the quote books uh, are all available at cccdundee.com forward slash store. Um, and you can check them out there um, and all the all the proceeds from, from that uh, go into covering some of the costs and allowing me to, to continue to interview great guests and put on things like punch in punch out so before we dive in um just one small thing i wanted to mention um that during one of the interviews was the minute silence for the manchester attacks um and i felt it was really important to keep that uh, within the recording so that is embedded into the the podcast um also because the conversation we were having at that time was particularly poignant um, talking about hope and looking to the future so I felt it was it was really important to have that in there um, but yeah so let's get into the podcast this is episode number 27 and it's punch in punch out number one so. uh, my name is Adrian Murray I'm the exhibitions manager at Dundee Contemporary Arts 
and my name is Paul Galt and I'm a co-design manager at Young Scott. And the question we have, self-doubt is healthy. Yeah, so I think self-doubt is a good thing in terms of like it makes you sort of push to improve things a bit further. You know, like if you had that kind of overconfidence that everything that you did is amazing, then you'd never sort of improve it. So yeah, that's my kind of take on it. Yeah, I also think, well, like, on that is like, it gives you time to step back and be like, is this right? Should I be doing it this way? Should I like, it gives you more time to sort of think. Like you're saying, if you're too confident, you're just going to go guns blazing. But a lot of self doubt, sort of like, mm, I'm not too sure yet. Yeah. Um, but do you think self doubt is inevitable? I think for for most people, yeah, you always reach that point where you're going. I maybe got a wee bit into deep at this point yeah. and I shouldn't have like gone this far um, so quickly and yeah you might be a bit cocky <laughs> if you've not got any self-doubt that's the way and then you're like ah somebody else has to maybe pick up the pieces yeah or you pick up the pieces and you're like oh should have thought about this more but then there's the two there's taking it too far with self-doubt and then you start almost raising things which people would never really pick up you know, pick up on, yeah. and and then then you're reaching the point of it's you might not actually get any further forward either because you've kind of just drilled a little drilled yourself into a hole in the ground and not going anywhere. Yeah. Was well, that yeah? But you say I think in my own practice is sometimes when you get to a point where you're just like you're questioning things so often you're not actually producing anything, and then it's a sort of point where you're like actually isn't it stop this and just get cut in some wood. <laughs> so there's a sort of threshold then, do you think? And beyond that, you should just say, I need to be confident in my decisions. But beyond that, it's sort of healthy. Above that, you should be questioning at some point. Anyway. Yeah. I think it's also maybe letting yourself, like your conscience, be a little bit thoughtful. So you're sort of like, your doubt is coming subconsciously, but just, just making sure you're still on the ball. Like, it's sort of, yeah keeping you thinking, making sure you're going around the right way, like preempting things that could go wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you're using your doubt as a sort of preemptive strike before something actually happens. <laughs> <laughs> preemptive strike. <laughs> doubt. <laughs> it's the name of our new album. <laughs> I'm Martin Skelly. I'm a lecturer in product design at uh, Dundee College of Art and Design. Should designers code? Yes. I think the, the process of learning how to write code and how to think in a problem-solving way is really beneficial for designers to know. I don't think designers should necessarily have to code like comprehensively or you know become experts in code. I think it could form a very small part of their um, creative practice, but it does help um, massively in sort of the way you translate your thinking into creative problems or working with other people in a collaborative way sometimes just being able to talk and use terms from a certain um, 
industry or way of working is really useful. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important. Um, in terms of just appreciating the complexity of things, like if you were collaborating with a ceramicist or something like that, then you'd want to know what they do, how their process works. Yeah. So I think you should have that same sort of appreciation for code. Um, yeah, definitely. And I, I think sometimes designing from a naive point of view and not understanding the full like suite of problems that a solution could add to a program is useful because you can come up with like groundbreaking ideas. But I think it's really important for designers to have these like sort of um, switch changes in their brains where they go from like creative technologist who's realizing a problem to designer who's like concepting and trying to come up with as like exciting a proposition or as compelling an idea as possible. Yeah, I think for me, I, I sort of do a little bit of code and but most of it is design. I don't particularly enjoy the code inside of it. But I find it's really helpful, even just down to even like a boring project management type way. It's kind of like if I ask a developer to do X, Y, or Z, I have an appreciation that it will take roughly this amount of time, or it is this complex a task to achieve. And I think that's really important to understand. Definitely, yeah. It's it's kind of empathy, isn't it? Like if it is a ceramicist or if it's a programmer, whereas often people assume digital is easy because it's on screen and the, the labor of the work is invisible. It's in the stuff that's deleted or binned or sort of scrapped from the program. Um, so I think it's massively beneficial when you are working on digital design to understand it from a, um, any point of view, I guess. Uh, my name is Pepper Parkinson. My age is I'm eight years old. I'm going to be nine soon, like November the 3rd, which I think is really soon, but everybody says it's really far away. And uh, what's the uh, question on your card? Um, do I have to read it out loud? Yes. What's your favourite piece of clothing? Mm -hmm. um, my favourite piece of clothing is my skinny jeans that I like wearing quite a lot. Okay, what so, colour are they? Um, they're kind of greyish blue, you know, those greyish, bluish trousers, like jeans, you usually get. And so why, why are they your favourite? Because I don't actually have much pairs of jeans, it's usually leggings, and I pick them myself, usually my mum picks my stuff, and I got to choose it. So, do you reckon you'll not let your mum choose anymore? Yeah, anymore. No, I'm not letting her choose. I get to choose now. Is there any other reasons why they're your favourite as opposed to anything else in your wardrobe? Why would you choose them? Because they're, like, easy to get on. You don't have to, like, go, Oh, I'll just get... I'll just get this on. I'll just... It would... The only thing that would take me a while is to get the socks on. But if you have trousers, you can just go put your socks on, put your trousers on, put your t-shirt on, then done, because you just can carry your cardigan or jumper. So, convenience and speed are important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I prefer speed. <laughs> More than, um, like, right, I have to get this on, I have to get this on, so then I have more time. 
to do everything. Do you think you'll ever throw them away? No. I'll keep them in as, as good quality so that when I'm older I can give them to my sister and then she can wear them. I've got a little sister and a brother. But he's not wearing my, my jeans. They're for girls. Skinny jeans on a boy. No. Not allowing it. So name, please. Uh, Mal from uh, Bion Collective. And the question you've chosen? Uh, why is Dundee a creative city? And what's your answer? Um, so, firstly, Dundee is very much uh, a creative city. Totally agree with this, this statement. And I guess to answer the question, I think a lot of it comes down to the, the scale of the city um, and, in turn, the people of the city responding to the scale. Um, I think when some things are small, they could be more adaptable, more fast, more responsive. And that's what Dundee has going for it. Whereas I've lived in bigger cities. I'm originally from Baghdad, but I grew up in Liverpool. These are big, big cities, and you know, with lots of wonderful, awesome things happening. But because they're so big, because they're lumbering giants, you don't get a, the same sense of kind of community spirit. And so I think because Dundee is nice and small, you get a lot more people kind of coming together. Um, it happens more often. It's more of a natural thing, it's not a weird thing. People kind of collaborate and make cool stuff, basically. Do you think, I mean, a lot of other cities, like a lot of bigger cities, have um, very active communities in a very small or smaller way, you know, within certain areas of cities? Um, do you think because Dundee is a, a small city in itself that uh, it's more noticeable that this, this is going on because it, it has a lot more exposure? Perhaps. Yeah, totally. I think it, in bigger places, everyone has a niche and that niche is protected and they don't necessarily cross over boundaries. Whereas in Dundee, those niches exist, but they overlap because they have to. Because, you know, like where I work, you know, as a games developer, as a games maker, I, you know, look across and there's, you know, makerspace, these guys that kind of hack things together, which is great. There's a there's an accountancy guy. There's a, there's a there's creative Dundee. There's all these different kind of voices within my physical space. So I kind of I'm I'm kind of forced into these situations where you know I have to kind of um, ex you kind of share my niche of games development with the world and vice versa. Kind of um, take back from people. Uh, and yeah, so th that way, kind of our voices are amplified. And, and how could, uh, how could uh, Dundee develop um, even better uh, networks to, to allow creativity to flourish? I think um, we have many challenges ahead of us, but I really think that the city needs some... Um, needs to hire some good people. I think the city itself needs to have um, just people who are connected to international networks, people who understand where we're at in terms of um, creativity, design, technology, and art, but people who are also kind of, who are aware of what's coming next or are interested in what's coming next. People who are not scared to take risks. Um, yeah, that's what we need, kind of a lot more kind of future thinking 
and that's not easy and that's kind of, it's very risky and it's not it's very hard to sell that but I feel it's really really important to be very kind of forward facing and just take risks and because we're a small city I think we can take we can take risks and um, reap huge rewards or if it fails it fails it's okay we'll kind of live another day and have another go. Um, hi, I'm Erica Stevenson, and I'm the festival photographer for Dundee Design Festival this week. <laughs> and what's the question you've got on your card? So I've got, um, what is a creative environment for you? Um, so that interested me because I think that I have two creative environments which are really opposite from each other. Um, so I like situations um, to photograph that are full of people and full of loads of things happening. So that's why I like festival environment or um, any kind of big event where there's engagement and anything fun happening. Um, so I like that buzz and that's when I can capture really interesting photographs. But also um, a creative environment for me is when I'm completely by myself, somewhere really quiet where I can sit down and work. So it's kind of like a two opposite. So I'm either surrounded by people um, and everything's really busy or I'm by myself in a dark room with a podcast on. Yeah, I'm interested to find out about, about what people listen to when they're, when they're working. Because um, uh -huh. obviously your work's quite visual, so you'd be editing um, yeah. and things like that. So what, I mean, what kind of podcast or what kind of music is it that, that you enjoy while you're working? Well, I, I go through phases. So I listen to all like the big podcasts that everyone listens to, but then when I run out, I'll troll the podcast trying to find something small. But um, one thing I do find quite interesting is that I find it really hard to listen to anything that's fiction-based or anything that's like a, an audiobook when I'm editing. And I think it's to do with looking at pictures and visualizing things. So I have to listen to like a science-based podcast um, or something like Radiolab or this American Life type thing that's like a story but isn't too visual. Um, which, yeah, I've, I've come to realise that I just can't follow a story. So you mentioned science-based and yeah. then sort of storytelling-based, but is there any other sort of genres of podcasts that you go into? I kind of give anything a go, really. Yeah? Yeah, just stories um, about people and life and anything that's kind of geeky. <laughs> I'm uh, Luca Damiani, so I work as, a, as an artist and designer. Um, so what was the, the question on the card? That question is, uh, what excites you for the future? <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's, um, well, I picked this question because, of course, uh, when you read future, um, I mean, you can have different thoughts, but uh, of something that stray come out to my mind was like possibility and hope and uh, vision and dreams that might come as a reality or maybe that might just sort of evolve, a life evolve without being actually super structured and, uh, and ruled. So you, you take it as it goes. Um, I also sort of felt uh, straight away a connection with um, this projects I'm doing around the connection between neurodiversity and art and design. So I'm looking at how actually the, 
the brain functions and um, the different interrelation between neurons and how all our brains are different. And I was really um, keen to um, sort of cross-connect and thinking what is the future going to uh, look like uh, within a, a more aware neurodiverse uh, society. So for example, I have um, Asperger syndrome, so I'm in the um, autism spectrum within the high functioning area. Um, and there's loads of elements right now, loads of projects that are really going within the future, like a week uh, for the next six months, where loads of my practice is actually focusing in, in that um, conversation and and so to me it kind of feels quite exciting to uh, be in a very creative space today uh, and where actually there's lots of elements that are resonating more uh, within my perceptions like I'm, I'm very sensitive to sound and we are in a room just now that is echoing um, and also, this is about sound and audio, so I feel like, okay, why, why not trying and giving a go? See, you used the word hope, um, which is interesting, I think, because at the moment there's a lot of pessimism for the future, uh, sort of politically and socially. Um, yeah. So why, why did you use the word hope? Um, well, I've, I think anyway that there's also... Um, in life, in general, there's a, a flow of ups and downs uh, within many areas of our, you know, social construction of daily life, uh, including politics, for example, now, uh, including, you know, the, all the socio-economical tensions that are really present um, as a struggle uh, within, within society nowadays. And I think hope, in a way, it's, um, is what brings us... Um, keep creating, keep thinking uh, of solutions. So when there's problems, we need to solve them, and whatever problems that those might be. Uh, and also, I do feel like in, in situations where there's um, I mean, it's really interesting. It's recording, or yeah, yeah. It's really interesting that um, where we were talking about the future, we we're talking about a diverse, neurodiverse society. We we're talking about sound and audio, and, um, and now we just had a, a minute silent as well for Manchester, and and it feels actually sort of cross-connected to what we are starting to talk about as well about hope and uh, you know the 
relation with what that can be within society, within politics, within all the dynamics that are currently flowing without much of our control as well. And it sort of feels, you know, we need to bring love and possibilities basically, always like even in situation like this ones, like when there's massive tragedies that are, of course now they're happening just now in the UK, but they're happening, you know, constantly in different countries uh, around the globe. And sometimes actually, you know, they might get less visibility due to the fact that maybe they're not in a European context. Uh, but it is a reality as human beings, we are really going through um, a, t a tough period at the moment. And I do feel that, for example, um, for what we can do, for example, as artists and creatives and, and designers, this really bring maybe questions, thinking, reflections, uh, and that hope, in a way, is not just one person that is bringing it. It's like it's a community coming together and a conversation that you have one person. Especially, I feel there should be hope to have more conversations with people that think differently than you. I think that that will bring hope. That will bring hope because those conversations will open new possibilities, new possibilities of listening, new possibilities of creating uh, together. And that can be, you know, from a painting to a more structured system within society, a new vision for society. Uh, so I, I do feel that actually within the future, there's so many of those ingredients that together uh, as a collective, um, we can actually make a reality. My name is Amina Shah and I'm the Director of Programme at Scottish Book Trust. And what's the question on your card? The question I have is, design should be like a box of chocolates, delicious. And what do you think? What's your opinion on that? Um, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's always delicious. I think it's more about thought. Okay. And what I do like about the fact that it mentions a box of chocolates is that design is sort of different for every person's different needs. So the thing about design, for me anyway, is that it's not just the way it is, that it's developed in a, di a certain way to meet a different need. And sometimes that might be to make it delicious or beautiful because that's the need, that's the desire to have something beautiful, but sometimes it's about something being useful and beautiful at the same time, or having a certain purpose or flexibility. But um, more than anything else, I suppose it's about the thought um, and the um, being tailored for a particular purpose. How do you feel about the statement, form follows function? Um, hmm. Interesting. I think there. I think it, that, that it's true to a certain extent. Well, actually, no. I don't think it is true because if even if you think about something like the bridge, for example, the Tay Bridge, all of the all these things have been designed to be functional, but at the same time, beautiful. It's not just the form. Um, it's about the combination of functionality and beauty at the same time. So yeah, I think it's, it's, sort of, it's a tandem thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think good design manages to capture both of those yeah. elements. Um, and yeah, as you say, it can be quick and dirty and functional, 
but at the same time there needs to be an aesthetic consideration yeah. That. yeah and sometimes that aesthetic can be a counter aesthetic in a way it can be sometimes like this building and this whole thing hasn't been overly designed the design is actually in its in the the sense of that you're getting from the fact it's in an old building the history of the building and actually the lack of design is part of the design in a way in certain rooms so um yeah it's more about the thought isn't it than the actual design. my name is beth lord i'm an academic i work in philosophy um and the question that i've been given isn't a question it's a statement which is we're all just muddling through and what are your thoughts on that then? Well, I'm curious as to why a person would write that on the card in the context of a design festival. Maybe they thought that when it comes to design, we typically don't think very much about it um, and that we're all just muddling through. We make use of good design and bad design as it happens to come into our lives, uh, but we don't often give it very much concrete thought. Um, it seems to me that a lot of design is bad design and I'm always struck by or often struck by the fact that despite the fact that good designs for things are available people don't always make use of them and I find that kind of puzzling about human beings why is it that we don't go with good designs follow good designs what is it about bad design that makes it more popular or more cost-effective? It's actually my question. That's, <laughs> isn't it? Um, and I think, I suppose, in the, the way in which I meant it, the context I meant is um, sort of in our, not necessarily in the finished design pieces and the design work, it's more in our careers and our paths that we're all just sort of doing what we think is right and trying to better ourselves constantly, but there is no magic potion. Mm. There is no cure. There is no way of becoming amazingly successful. Mm -hmm. We just get on with it and it, it, it either happens or it doesn't. And we're all just sort of striving to get there without really knowing. Yes. Yes. I think that's true. And I think presumably that's true of people in other kinds of career path as well, mm. um, even if they're not uh, working in the creative industry themselves. So I don't work in the creative industry, but I have done a little bit of work on philosophy and design. I actually recently was involved with making a film called Equal by Design, which is about inequality and the housing crisis and about good housing design and how it connects to a philosopher called Spinoza, who's the philosopher who I work on. So I've actually been thinking a little bit recently about philosophy and design and how philosophical ideas from the past can have an impact on um, how we think about housing design. Um, yeah, so I think the topic of muddling through is kind of a good one. I don't feel that I have any great expertise to share with you about that theme. Um, but I feel that in my own muddling through of, of working on those themes and making this film, um, I've, you know, I've kind of come to have some understanding. But if, if anything, the understanding has come from the process of doing the making and, and not from some great idea that I had at the outset or that I have now. Um, it, it comes from the process, which I guess is kind of similar to how artists and designers work. Uh, my name's Ed, I'm a filmmaker in Dundee. And the question um, I've chosen to have a shot at, I don't know if I'll be able to answer it, is ultimately, is this all pointless? Um, and what I'd like to say about that is, um, 
I think we're living in a time where we're searching for meaning. There's a constant search for meaning going on. I'm not sure if that's a new thing or not. Humans have always searched for meaning in things. Um, but I think lately there's been a big rise in our culture, Western culture, in possibly in individualism and what people are looking for as an individual and trying to find meaning in what they do uh, as an individual. It seems to be quite a big, especially in the creative community, it seems to be quite a big quest um, to get to the root of that, to find something that is your point or people are trying to find their own individual point and then work to it, which I think maybe that's something to do with authenticity, uh, possibly. The way this design festival we're at today is set up, it's a lot to do with authenticity, um, real, tangible things, and I think people are looking for that. Um, I mean, ultimately, everything, yeah, it is all pointless, and, and unless you're a believer in life after death. But what does that then leave? Um, I think it's finding whatever you're happy doing Possibly human happiness is judged, or male, male human happiness is judged um, when things are on a level, when it doesn't dip. So we'd like things to get to a certain level, we ponder along at our level, and we're only unhappy when things drop off. Real happiness is very, is very fleeting. Okay, so you talked about points and lines, and so like what, what's your point and what's your, your line of happiness? What, what, what do you strive to achieve then? Um, I think I strive to achieve uh, a life where I'm not um, doing the same thing over and over again. I think that would lead to unhappiness. The times, professionally, that when I've been doing the same old thing time and time again are the, haven't been the best ones for me. Um, and I think in terms of what I do as a filmmaker, there's enough difference there that it's on a good level. I think... Uh, yeah, there's a point there to be had somewhere. Um, and I think also it's about maybe, um, it's about maybe creating, the point is maybe creating something that resonates with other people, which in a, is a, in a way is at odds with this notion of individualism that I spoke about earlier, um, because you can never really know or empathize with or know, just really deep down understand what the person you know, sitting opposite you is ever really thinking or feeling. Um, so that's two things that may be quite hard to justify together, but it's always nice <clears throat> when you, know, you, you, you consume a bit of culture, whether it's music or art or dance or any of these things and it resonates with you personally. And I think maybe that's the point, um, is if you can make a connection in this cold, dark world. Why do you say it's a cold, dark world? Well, it's, um, I've got this other idea that we'll maybe look, we'll either look back at this time in our history in two different ways. It'll either be seen as, oh, we're in the middle of this awful dystopia and no one really realized because we were all quite comfortable and well off, relatively speaking. Um, or we'll look back at it and go, actually, that was a really great time where we were comfortable and where nothing much had was really troubling us, you know, we're not, the, the battles and wars over water and food haven't started yet. Um, they will do at some point. 
and then the fortifications will go up around the edge of, of, of the island we live on. So we should just enjoy it before it descends into disaster and chaos? See, no, I'm not really a firm believer in that YOLO kind of, you know, we're only here for a good time, not a long time sort of thing, because we are here long enough that there are, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a level of responsibility that is needed. So I don't, I think if you did live, live, live every day as if it was your last, you'd end up having a really horrible time, actually, and no one would want to talk to you because you'd just leave a trail of just awfulness in your wake as you went and did whatever you wanted uh, on a daily basis with no regard for consequence. So if you don't live it as if every day is your last, how, how do you live it in order to sustain that enjoyment? Well, I think if... Um, I'm, I'm going to save that for my book and my self-help uh, tape. I'm not telling you. No, no one really knows, do they? No. no probably. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. The answer to, ultimately, is this all pointless, is yes, no, don't know. Louise Valentine, what on earth are you playing at? I'm not quite sure. Not even where do I start? Well, today, let's start with today. What am I playing at? I'm playing quite seriously, actually, with some really amazing people. I met with the Hassel Plattner Institute this morning with v Dundee, and we played at developing design thinking and how we work with people, how we develop communities, how we educate, and how we just make the city of Dundee greater than what it already is. What else am I playing at? I'm playing at being um, a nice person. So in my mind right now, I'm thinking about it's glorious weather outside, so let's Let's do something in the garden with the family tonight. Let's have a barbecue. What would I like to eat? So I'm playing with that. I love food. I think I'll have some gin too. What gin? Mm, let's do tankery. Yeah, I'd like to have some tankery. Yeah. What else am I playing at? Well, truth be told, I'm playing it trying to get back into running because the whole year, I've hardly done any. I love running, and yet, quite frankly, I feel as if I'm a beginner. I'm playing at it. Truth, could hardly run around the farm this morning. What's that all about? It's normally so easy. What am I playing at? It's a really tough question. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? What am I playing at? What does play what mean to you in these different situations? situations? It means having fun. It means, it means thinking. It means caring. It means being with people. It means relaxing. It means coming together with people. Where do you play best, or who do you play best, who brings it at you? 
Oh, the unexpected, that's really easy. I think being mischievous and spontaneous without question and making sure that it's part of every single day. I mean, the whole, the joy of play is the laughter that comes with it. And you have to do that with people. I mean, truth be told, playing on your own, yeah, it's fine, but not as good as, as playing with other people. And I like to chat, so that's part of the play, isn't it? My name is Mike Press, and the question I'm asking myself is, is design's role to make beautiful things? And I don't think that's the case at all. That's not design's role. That would be remarkably limiting if it was just to make beautiful things. Design's role is to make a beautiful world. It used to be said that design is about making things useful, usable, and desirable. I think it's about making the world useful, usable, and democratic, involving people in the creation of our world, a world that fits everyone's needs. It's not about building or making beautiful objects or beautiful things or uh, desirable things. It's about making the world beautiful in the most holistic way. When do you think that change happened? Is that something that changed how you viewed design or do you think that's a change or a shift that's happened in the tool of design? I think that's a shift that's happening in design. I don't think we're there yet. I think the predominant view is that design is an activity that is about uh, objects. Uh, the design is an activity that is about how things look. It's not about how things look. As Steve Jobs said, design is about how things work. Some things can work beautifully well. Some things can work very democratically. Some things can work in an inclusive way. Uh, some beautiful things can make the world actually harder for some of the people who live in it. But that's a shift that I think has been taking place over the last quarter of a century, and I think that will carry on into the future. Uh, and I think design is infusing areas uh, of human activity that it never used to infuse before. And people, all kinds of people now, are making use of design methods and tools to actually make things work better. Things that they might be doing, they might work in a hospital, they might work in a police station, uh, they might work in a factory. It's about making things work better. All right, my name is Sam Gonzalez. I uh, work as the digital producer for Creative Dundee. And my card says, what's the point? So what is the point, Ryan? <laughs> I, th I think the question's for you to okay, answer. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Me. Um, I mean, what is the point? I think, uh, yeah, I guess like th maybe there's something about the asking of the question. The point is asking the question as opposed to finding an answer to the question. You know, because the moment you find something definitive and you write it in stone and it's like the meaning of life, like this is why you do what you do. This is the point of everything. Then that becomes alienating, you know, and it, and it becomes exclusive. Um, so maybe the point is to continually ask, what's the point? You know what I mean? Kind of, I suppose. You sort of... Yeah. So its relevance comes in its repetition. 
Yeah, or like constant reassessment, you know? Like never letting something solidify so much that it becomes like a personal constitution of like, I know what the point is. I will always do that thing, you know? But then does the point become an intangible thing that never really exists because it's constantly changing? Yeah, because like if, if it... Okay, so let's say you answer that, right? So the point, the point of everything is to, you know, buy ice cream. Then you, either you go and you buy ice cream and then you'll be like, right, now I bought ice cream. And what is the point? You know, because like you've achieved the point and then you have to reassess it. Or the point will be something so unachievable or so like, I don't know, abstract and weird that you never achieve it and you never like you never get close to it you're always chasing this thing that doesn't that is not real um i don't know i don't know i'm i, I, don't I also I'm don't think about. the point exists without context right so you need that in order to frame the point yeah and that what's the point today mm. or what's the point tomorrow yeah or what's the point for the next 10 minutes right like, kind of with with what's the point is so ambiguous and I think that's probably the point of right, the right. question <laughs> yeah 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 what's the point of this question so okay talking about like moment to moment stuff would you rather all the art in the world that's existed up until now is destroyed and it can never be reproduced in any way or um, no new art can be made So we either only have what's gone before, yeah. or we only have what's produced in the future. From now onwards, yeah. Well, it's an easy choice for me. It's, you've got to be able to produce going forward. Right. Because just like not being able to ever produce anything, surely that's far more restrictive. Yeah. And boring. Yeah. I agree, but... And, and that's why, like, that's how I answered, and that's how everyone answers. But is that a kind of globalized, twenty-first century view, progressive view of the world, where only like the most valuable things are still to come, as opposed to, you know, there's actually this enormous wealth in in, in things that have gone and that we can kind of take from. You know what I mean? Like, are we too quick to say only the future stuff and never the past stuff? True. I, yeah, I think human nature is to be progressive. I think mm. we're, it's maybe not human nature. That's probably the wrong way to phrase it. But the way, the way in which we've been, the way in which society works, if you like, is about progression. It's about pushing yourself. It's about mm. becoming better. It's about right. having a better income, a better car, a better house. Yeah. Um, the perfect family all these yeah, sort of yeah. ideals that are about having more and, yeah. and being better in yourself and then as a race we work five days a week and we <laughs> rest or have two days off yeah. that says a lot about the ideals that are imposed upon right, us right. we don't balance the off time with the working yeah. time because we're about progression as a right we're as not a race. we don't value stagnation like exactly. we value yeah when we we should yeah, a hell of a lot more than we do. That's true. Maybe it should be more balanced. But yeah, that's my other thing with this question that I keep thinking. Actually, looking at past stuff inspires me to do new stuff. You know what I mean? So, or to create more. So actually, if there was 
I don't know, if I couldn't make any new art, then the past art would be kind of pointless because like it inspires me to be creative, you know? Hmm. Also, just think of everything that would be destroyed. Space Jam, the movie. <laughs> Every Bill Murray movie, in fact, not just Space Jam. Oh, so would you define that as art? Then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, like from paintings to installations to movies to like anything that involves creativity, like in its like, even des- like architecture, like, you know what I mean? Like just everything would be a block, like, uh, yeah. Because then it almost gets me onto like the question that's on the board, on the rack as well, is the, uh, where, where's the line between that, between art and design? between art and design between art and architecture or art and any other sort of medium because you use art as a very broad term I guess my point is that every Bill Murray movie is (laughs) thoroughly artistic (laughs) but in Space Jam Bill Murray plays himself in a quest to find a disappeared Michael Jordan like who greenlit that idea (laughs) In the studio meeting, like it's it's crazy, and it's one of the best films ever made. <laughs> yeah, Bill Murray loves a cameo as himself. Though. That's true. What was uh, the other one? Zombie Land. Zombie Land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great one. That's one of the best cameos. Like, I love. Yeah, that. <laughs> he's really good. What's your? How much time do we have? Do we have? Uh, we're about six forty. What's your favorite bad film? My favorite bad film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dead Snow. Oh, yeah, with the zombies, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zombie Nazis. How can you not love zombie Nazis? And it's, like, Scandinavian or something like that, so it's uh-huh. subtitled, and then, yeah, some horrible pretext about kids going up to a cabin in the mountains, and then... I'm Katrina, and I've just graduated from DJ CAD um, as a product designer. My question is, when do you become a designer? Okay. And I'm not sure, there's kind of two arguments in this. There's the kind of, you never almost become a designer in the fact that you're always learning. And then there's the other side when you almost, when you commit to it, you always are a designer. So Electra once said that you were a designer from when you entered art school. So I don't really know. There's kind of that two sides of it. I, I like the idea of sort of commitment to it because I'd I suppose I'd also argue that even after you start your degree not everyone's fully committed to being a designer some people want to go off and do teaching or yeah. something different which isn't necessarily in that design discipline um, so at what point do you think you committed um, I think earlier on I think even before I came to uni um, so I was at school and it was very much I was the only person who wanted to do product design and I had to commit there and then to be, this is what you want to do as a career path, otherwise we're going to drop you. And at that point, I was very much like, I don't know what I want to do. And then, but I was like, I think this is what I want to do. I want to be a designer. So I think it was like when I was like 17, I decided that's what I wanted to do. So my name is Stuart Murdoch, uh, and I've been in the really privileged position of chairing the group that planned the Dundee Design Festival. And on my day job, I'm the city's director for leisure and culture. And what's the question you've chosen? The question I got was creativity is innate. And I believe that to be true. I think to answer that, you just need to look at the way children from the youngest age create and make 
and explore. What is more challenging, therefore, is why do people lose creativity? What is it that stops them being creative? And I think it's often adult society that puts inhibitors, that removes creativity, that creates a self-consciousness that sterilizes creativity. And I think we have to work against that. So have you got any theories or ideas of how we counteract that? Uh, for me, it's about the joy of play. Play and making, I think, are really close together. And I think if we could work more on the way that young kids, very young kids, preschool kids, going into primary, play without fear of criticism. So where does creativity get in inhibited? It's often through adult intervention. So the form of nurturing and support we give is not encouraging creativity. It's often saying, well, actually, you could do it better this way or that way. And progressively, we erode confidence to a point where people become autonomous rather than creative beings. Yeah, and I think we're now seeing um, people who have careers where they have a job that supports them financially. <laughs> And then they have a, a hobby or a pastime that then supports them creatively. And then you see yeah. people who run dual careers and then they eventually make that transition. So I think there's also a job to be done to, yeah. to support and facilitate those people making that transition and making that jump into, I'm going to do something creative with my life that I can self-sustain. I think that's a really difficult part of it. Absolutely. And, and how many people do you meet who say, well, actually, I, I just have my job to live and what I really enjoy doing and then they begin to describe the thing that fulfills them, which is the thing that makes them um, creative. The people who are happiest in work, of course, are those who can combine the two. And if you can find a niche in life that gives you enough to meet your expectations, but also satisfy your creative drive, that way happiness probably lives. Yeah, I think so. And you're never going to find a job that you like every single aspect of. And I think that's an unrealistic goal. And you, you need to aim for something that's going to give you creative freedom, but have that acceptance that there are going to be crappy days. And you're probably not going to find a creative activity that is entirely easy to do or satisfying. There's going to be creative challenges. Mm. And you're going to get upset because what you want to produce, you can't produce. So in a way, being able to cope with that is also about being able to be resilient being able to say, okay, that didn't work, but you know what, I'm going to learn from that or do it differently or do it again. And that creative challenge of repetition towards excellence, I think, uh, again, is something which people have to learn to love, learn to work with, because it isn't, it isn't easy. Great, great things don't come easily, whether it's music or making. I think you have to be prepared to work hard at it. And we do live in a world where people look for instant gratification you pay money and you get satisfaction. Creativity is not always like that. I think you put in the time and you get the reward, but you don't always get it in the easy way. And so that was episode number 27, um, the first of the Punch In, Punch Out series. And I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, there was a a wide variety of topics, conversations, um, and some fantastic people. Um, thanks to everyone who came and was part of Punch In, Punch Out. 
And obviously that's only the first episode So I wasn't able to put everyone's into that But do keep listening um, in the coming weeks And I'll be releasing the further episodes With all the other um, fantastic chats that, that happened over the over the course of the festival But if you do want to keep up to date with everything that's happening on the podcast uh, Best way to do that is on Twitter So that's at CCC Dundee um, Also on Instagram with the same handle uh, Or you can join the Facebook group And that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ccc dundee and next week i'll be back with the second in the series of punch in punch out until then goodbye